Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you made it out today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here. Hopefully, uh, you had a, a great time driving in. I know it's summertime, and so everybody's kind of a little tired and like, man, I don't know. I'd, maybe I'd rather be at the beach. But you are in the right place at the right time. So glad that you're here with us today. We're starting a brand new series today called Overwhelmed. Everybody say overwhelmed. Yeah, and the reason we're doing that is because most of us in this life are yeah, overwhelmed. And so we want to talk about that because God has something to say about you and I living a life that is overwhelming. And uh, I've noticed most of us, you know, we go through life and sometimes we can ignore it. Sometimes that we just normalize it, but God did not design you to live that way. And so we wanted to start a series called Overwhelmed to talk about that. And so if you're a guest with us for the very first time, so glad that you made it out today. We are honored that you're here on behalf of our staff. We're so happy that you're here. I always invite you, uh, if you are a guest, to come at least three times. And here's why. I've noticed that when you go to a place, sometimes it's hard to get like the the feeling of the place the first time. Hey, sometimes that restaurant just got your order wrong, but it's really a good restaurant. They just, they kind of messed up that one time. And so I said, hey, come at least a few times. You get a feel for it. You get an idea of what it's like. And then hopefully we can really, you can really find what we call spiritual family. And that's what we try to build here. We want to grow you and hopefully uh, you find spiritual family here as well. Also want to um, welcome all those listening on our podcast. We actually have hundreds and hundreds of people who listen to our podcast who don't even come to this church. They actually give. They're part of our, our digital communities. What I like to call. So if you're on the treadmill or you're on the way to work, hello. So we just say hello to them. And so just so happy that you're here. Also, I want to mention, since we are talking about this particular series called Overwhelmed, I want to challenge you. I want to, if you can, do everything you can to be here every week of this series. It's a four-week series, and we want you to be here every week of it because each week kind of has a progressive feel to it. We want you to build on it, and we believe in what we call steps here, and so we want you to take a step every week to not feeling overwhelmed. Here's what I know. If you feel overwhelmed, feel stressed out, feel like you just got anxiety, you didn't get there overnight, and so you're not going to get out of it overnight, and so we want to make sure you take steps out of it, but this is today is going to be step one. So if you have your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, is where we're going to be, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And uh, I want to give you some context because this is important. And before we read it, I want to give you who wrote this. Uh, Solomon actually wrote uh, this book in the Bible. He was uh, son of uh, King David and Bathsheba. Solomon was actually, uh, he actually authored three books in the Bible. He authored the Proverbs. He authored Song of Solomon. That makes sense, Song of Solomon. And then he also authored uh, Ecclesiastes, which is the book we're going to be in today. He, uh, the Bible actually tells us in Kings that he actually has a conversation with God. And this is so crazy. God actually has a conversation with him. And God asks him, uh, Solomon, what would you like? Now, how many of y'all would like to ask God, like if you were having a prayer time with God, God opened up the heavens and goes, man, Aaron, what would you like? How many of y'all would like that, right? Like, that'd be amazing. I'll give you whatever you want. What do you want? And Solomon, inside of his own insight and own intellect, he actually asks God for wisdom. And the Bible says God's like kind of blown away. He's like, wow, that's incredible. And since you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you both. I'm going to give you both wisdom and riches. And the Bible records that Solomon goes on to live and, and be the a richest and wisest man who has ever lived. Isn't that credible? So he's, he's literally has everything he wants. He's the wisest. He's the richest. Got everything he needs. In the 21st century, Solomon would be the guy who had all the Twitter followers, had all the Instagram likes, has everybody who's following him. He's got all the boathouses. He's got everything that he needs. He's got all the money. He's, he's climbed every corporate ladder possible. He's, he, his theme song when they walk in is, all I do is win, win right? Like that's, that's, that is Solomon, okay? So he has got everything. And then he writes this thing which should really, it should freak you out. 
And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Refused my heart no pleasure. He said, I got everything that that I, I need. He said, my heart took delight in my labor, which side note, you need to know this. Just because you get something done, just because your heart feels right, just because it feels right doesn't mean it's God's will for you. And so he says, my heart took delight in all my labor. I did everything that I wanted. And this was the reward, the reward for my toil. He says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was, was meaningless, a, ch- a chasing after the wind. What an eerie passage of Scripture that the man who had everything would say something like this. He said, nothing was gained under the sun. Nothing was gained under the sun. You would expect that from someone who doesn't have anything. You would expect that from maybe someone who came from a background that was kind of messed up. You would expect that from someone who's struggling in life. He has everything, and yet he says statements like nothing was gained under the sun. And then maybe the most eerie statement of all, he says in verse 17, so I, so I hated life. Maybe that's you in here. You're to this point of overwhelmed. You're to this point of stress. You're to this point of anxiety. You're to this point where you can't wake up and there's something inside of you that worries right away. He said, so I, I hated life. You're like, Solomon, what? Not you. Because the work that is done under the sun, again, there's that word again, was grievous to me. All of it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. An incredible passage of Scripture that translated better. Solomon's sitting there looking at as well, saying, none of this means anything. It didn't help what I thought it would help in my soul. And he hated life. If you're taking notes today, the title of my message is, Don't Give Up. Don't Give Up. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Lord, I thank you that you were here today for you. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now, Lord, you would take the words that I've prepared and transform them to the hearts of these people. That God, as you've shown me in your word and taught me in your word this week about to deal with my own anxieties, my own overwhelmed feelings, God, I pray that this would be seed going into good soil and that it would ultimately sprout a great harvest in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Um, how many uh, would ever, how many of you in here would ever say you, you've built something up? I'm notorious for this. I, I, I tend to build things up in my mind to the point where all of a sudden when it actually happens, it's kind of a letdown. Anybody else kind of like that? You know, like uh, I've noticed that like I'll do that with movies. I'm like, this is the greatest movie in the world. And it was all right. You know what I mean? And so by the time people go and see it, they go see it and they're like, Aaron, it was like a, it was kind. Of, it was almost terrible. It was kind of good. So I'm a, I tend to build things up in my mind, and so and I like to see things. I like to experience things. And so the other day I was, um, you know, you know, I was. We were my family, and we went down to uh, South uh, Texas area where the beaches work. So I'm from California, and I know where the beaches are. And I'm like, I'm gonna go see a beach. And so I'm like, I'm gonna go down. And so I went to Port Aransas, you know, like Port A. And I'm like, that's where I'm gonna go. I guess that's what the locals call Port A. And so I'm like, okay. So I go down there, and I don't know if you know this or not, but it's not like California beaches. 
It's a little different. And so I'm like, okay, this is confusing. Because in my mind, I had built up this idea, like, I'm going to go there. And, like, you all see, like, on the Instagram pictures of everybody on the beach, you know, and they're like, hashtag blessed life. And you're really like, shut up. You know, you know, you want the thumbs down emoji. And so, you know, you're like, whatever. But you, but you, don't, you don't put that on the comment. You go, so good for you, you know, and have fun and hope you, you have a great time. Great, you know, best besties, you know, and you're at secretly you're wishing you were there. And so anyway, I'm, I show up to Port A and, and I got it. I built it up in my mind. I'm like, I mean, we're going to go down there. And it's going to be the sun and it's going to be the shore. And it's going to be nice sandy beaches and it's going to be water. and It's going to be nice. And we're going to be kids going to be running around and things are going to be great. And then we got there and it was none of that. Has anybody been to Port A before? Nobody wants to raise their hand. They're like, they're ashamed of it. Yeah, me too. And so I get down there, and we have a day, and it's like crazy. And I got five kids, so we got my five boys, and we're there. And so we get up, and uh, we were done at the end of the day. We're really tired. We're driving home, and we're right in that middle sweet spot before. Before dinner, it wasn't quite dinner, but it wasn't quite lunch. We're kind of in that weird grace moment period where we're confused. You know, our bodies are confused. We're hungry. We're trying to figure out, like, what are we going to do? And so we're sitting there, and we're like, okay, come on. Like, it's going to be okay. And so we get there, and we're like, you know what? My wife has this great idea. Aaron, you should just order food so that we can pick it up and then take it home. Now, like, that's a great idea, right? Y'all ever do that before? So I'm like, okay. So we're like, what kind of, we wanted to get some, like, something quick. And so we're like, fast food. Like, do we want to do this, like, fast food? And so uh, Chick-fil-A was closed. And so, because that's where we go. So Jesus chicken. So, you know, we just got, Chick-fil-A was closed. And so we're like, what's the next best thing? So we went to this place and I had such a terrible experience. I don't want to tell you the name. The best thing I could maybe rhyme with it is um, Paco Smell. That's where we went. Paco. So I don't want to ruin the name. I don't want to ruin this place. Y'all need to go go to it. So this is where we went. So we went. And so we, should, we, we ordered. And I ordered tacos. And I ordered burritos. And I ordered quesadillas. Y'all know where we went now, right? So we ordered quesadillas. And we ordered, you know, chimichangas. We ordered everything. You know, I'm like excited. And so uh, we get everything in the thing. And I ordered with my, my phone my app, on the app because I'm good like that. And I don't trust people who work at taco. Sorry. Smaco. We know anyway. And so I don't, I don't order. And so I like wrote it down because I wanted to make sure. I'm paranoid. I just think people are going to do it wrong unless they don't see it. So I ordered it on the app and made me feel techie, too, because I'm a tech guy. So I'm like, okay. So I order the food. We get there. Everybody's mad. Kids screaming. Wife's mad. She goes, just go get the food. Get back in the car. We're going to go home. I said, okay. So I run in. Is this Aaron's food? I got like 18 bags. So I got 1,000 kids. I'm like, all right. I grab all the bags. I'm running out. I throw it in the truck. We get home. We start taking stuff out. And before we got home, I remember smelling the food. Y'all do that when you're so hungry and you start smelling the cheese and then the meats and the seasoning, and you're just like, oh, yeah, thank you, Jesus. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm just sorry. So I started tasting it in my mouth, y'all. I started, It wasn't even in my mouth, but I tasted it. So we get it home, and I'm in there. We start taking stuff out. First thing I realize, there's wrong items. Like, I did not order this. So I'm mad, right? Because I'm like, I put it on black and white, clear as crystal. I ordered it. I paid for it. Y'all should just get the order right. So first, it was wrong. So wrong items. I'm pulling them out. I'm mad. So my wife's like, it's okay, babe. No big deal. Then we realize after we pull everything out, not everything's in there. Now I'm missing things. Now I feel like I got taken by the 17-year-old that works at Schmacko Smell. And so I'm like, I don't understand. Now now, now they got one over on me, and I don't, I don't appreciate that. I need to get one over on them. And so, okay, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, now I'm heated. Now I'm getting up, and I'm pacing, and I'm stretching, and I'm like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to put everything back. I told my wife, put everything back in the bag. I'm taking it back, and I'm going to throw it at him. Make it again. And so she's like, Aaron, you're a Christian. 
like you're a pastor. Like you might actually meet these people in the church. So it's probably not a good idea if you be like throwing the burrito at their face and they're sitting in the crowd going, that's the dude that threw the burrito in my face. I said, girl, you're right. I love you. Give her a kiss. You're my boo. So we were like, okay. And so she's like, let's just keep going. So she goes, just take a drink of your drink. I take a drink of my drink and it's wrong. Here's what was wrong about it. There was no ice in it. Who doesn't put ice in their drink in Texas? So I'm like, I'm, so I'm ready to, I'm ready. I'm already, I'm mad. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to eat. So I get up my burrito and, and I'm, I'm, I'm so, again, I'm hungry. I built it up in my mind. I can at least smell the beans. I could smell the cheese, the beef, the lettuce, the tomato. And, oh, I'm just so happy. So I take a big bite into my burrito. And the first thing that my teeth crunch on is only something that I can describe as a vile weed. That is a, an abomination to everything food. It was an onion. And I don't believe that God designed onions to be used as food. No, Saboya, I don't like it. Here's why. It ruined my burrito. So I bite into the wrong burrito. I told him no onions. I throw the burrito. I went to bed that night. It ruined my night. Now, you guys probably have never had that happen. But I'm sure you've had something happen in your life where you built something up and it didn't turn out the way that you thought it was. And it kind of makes you feel, you know, that night I kind of felt overwhelmed. I felt anxiety. I felt stress. I felt like, like everything in me made me frustrated and overwhelmed. Maybe you're like Solomon in here. And maybe you've gotten everything that you've wanted and you've felt some of these feelings that he pens in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Maybe you felt frustrated. He says this. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he says, life is useless, all useless. I, I've said that before, like, man, life doesn't mean nothing anymore. <laughs> he said, you spend your life working. Come on, like, this is like us, right? That you spend your life working, laboring, you're teaching them kids, you told your wife, you told your husband, you, you did everything right, and what do you have to show for it? Nothing. The world just stays the same. Frustration comes out in anger, doesn't it? And so you could be in here, and maybe you worked harder than anyone else in your job. Your position, you did everything right. You were supposed to get the promotion into the corner office, and then homeboy comes in, and he gets it. He just got hired, then he gets promoted because he's the cousin of the brother of the uncle of the owner, right? Or maybe, maybe your 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 parent kids, right? You know, you get you got like stuck with these kids now. You know, one at some point in your life you chose them, and at some point in your life you stuck with them. You know. You're just like, what well, is what it is now? I'm counting down the days. You got a timer on your computer. There's a countdown to 18 years old. You're like, when you're gone, it's going to be good. And you get frustrated because you thought you did. You thought you raised them right. You thought you told them what to do. And then you opened up your dryer door and there's crayon all over the clothes. Come on. Right? Has that happened to anybody? That happened to me and my wife this week. I opened it up. My wife opened up, I came home, she goes, there's like crayon and all of our kids. And I'm like, which one are we getting rid of? Which one? I'm ready. You know, or maybe you, you worked hard. Have you ever been to the, you remember back in school when you sat next to the, like the troublemaker who never, te- never studied for a test? You studied your whole life. You got a C, he got an A. Come on, frustrated. I'm talking about like, or maybe you're in a relationship when you're the only one trying. 
Life can be pretty frustrating. Life can be pretty angry at times. Or maybe you're tired in here. Maybe you're like Solomon when he said this. He said, go to the next. There you go. He said, life is useless. That's, that's, the, that's the wrong one. We already did that one. There you go. The sun still rises and it still goes down. He, he says that the wind blows. I love that it's kind of poetic. It's poet. He, he's so mad. And he's so tired, he's starting to rhyme and use, like, poetry in his, in his... He said, the wind blows, and round and round and back again. And he goes on to say, and every river flows into the sea, and then it, water returns, and whatever the rivers begin to start, and it starts all over again. And then he says this. He go, he go, so what he's saying is, he's like, life is just, like, over and over and over and over and over. And then he goes, he gets to this point where he goes, everything leads to weariness. He goes, a weariness too great for words. He says, I'm so tired. I'm just so tired. Maybe that's you in here. Maybe you're just so tired. Business Week took a, uh, they did a, a survey recently of, of like, I think it was like 100,000 people. And they said, they asked this question, this one question. They said, how are you feeling? And the number one answer was, I'm tired. I'm tired. Man, I'm just tired. Oh, I'm just tired. I don't even know. I just, some of you in here, that's your go-to statement when someone asks you how you're doing. You probably don't even notice that. You need to go home after this, ask your friend, what do I normally say to you? And they might say, well, you always say you're tired. In fact, Business Week said they've declared us the decade of fatigue. We're just, we're just, I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. I went on a vacation recently, like last week, and uh, Pastor Jason was preaching. I heard he did awesome, and, uh, and uh, we were on vacation, and Came back, and my wife's like, you feel rested? I go, no, I feel like I need a vacation from what we just took. <laughs> have you ever do that, right? You've been to Disney? You have, for sure. I promise you that. But you feel tired. And uh, he's saying, you know, it's like Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, repeat. Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Friday. You could be stuck in that cycle. Maybe you're a third person in here. Maybe you feel unfulfilled. Maybe there's this, your theme song is, I can't get, no. There you go. You're unsatisfied. Like, did you walk around and just sing that? Like, I'm just unsatisfied. In fact, Solomon says this in, in, in Ecclesiastes. He says this. He goes, no matter how much we see, this is interesting. Again, remember who's saying this. He's got everything. Whatever he needs, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History merely repeats itself. He says, I don't get it. I don't have any satisfaction. I'm unfulfilled. I'm not content. We get like this, I think, a lot with money. If we're not careful, you know, I was reading an article uh, the other day and uh, they did an interview with J.D. Rockefeller back in the day when he was like the richest man in the world. He's not that anymore, but he's still, I mean, they were, you know, he was. He was the richest man. And the article and the person asked him, they said, hey, you know, he was a billionaire, billionaire, super billionaire back then. And they asked him, they said, hey, you, you have all this money. How much money do you need so that you can feel content? And he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And some of us have done that. You know, we've looked to money. We've looked to the, to the dollar to bring us some satisfaction, some fulfillment. And then you get that dollar and you realize it didn't bring you any of it. 
I mean, isn't it true? You probably make more money than you ever have right now in your life, and you thought back then, 10, 20 years ago, you would never, what would I do with half the money you make now? And you were like, if I just had that, I'd be fine. You have that now, are you fine? And so we can live a life that just is truly unfulfilling. So what does this mean? Solomon ultimately is saying is if you focus on the things under the sun, you're going to live a life that's overwhelmed. So what do we do? I mean, isn't that the question? What do we do? How do we handle? What's our first step in moving out of being overwhelmed? We're going to go to a different character named Paul. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul would probably be the maybe antithesis to Solomon. He had nothing. As a matter of fact, he had less than nothing. He didn't have anything to do, go on. He, was not, uh, he didn't have a house. and he, he had probably the worst life, if you could think about it. He wound up being shipwrecked. When he got shipwrecked, he wound up getting bitten by a snake. It's like, that's even worse. You know, he, he floated in the water for a couple of nights. I mean, that'd be terrifying. Some people I know hate water. Imagine doing that, floating in the water all night. You're just not knowing where you're going to go. He wound up um, getting 39 lashings five times. The lashings that Jesus got, the lashings by the Romans who were actually masters at torture to actually keep you almost dead. He got that five times. He was stoned, and not in a good way. He got, he got the actual uh, beatings of, 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 of bad and terrible people. He was imprisoned. He was uh, everything that you could think of for, for to go wrong in someone's life. It happens to him. And he writes this in 2 Corinthians. This is so crazy to me. He writes this in 2 Corinthians. You have to see this. And this is what he says about being overwhelmed. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart. That's my prayer for you today. Do not lose heart. If you are overwhelmed, unfulfilled, unsatisfied, you're tired, maybe there's something wrong with you and you're frustrated, my prayer for you today, God's desire for you today, the first step is don't give up and don't lose heart. Paul's saying we don't do that. We're Christians. We don't give up because we know at the end of the day we win. So we just, but we can't give up. He said, though outwardly, it looks pretty bad. We're wasting away. There's a lot of stuff going on. I just got bit by a snake. People keep beating me. I'm floating in the water. I don't understand what's going on. It looks pretty bad, but inside of me, I'm being renewed day by day. Here's how. This is how we do it. This is how we don't give up. This is our first step. So if you, like, checked out, check back in. This is what he says. He says, he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He says, if you and I have problems or feel overwhelmed, the desire of our heart is going to try to eliminate them. You want to get rid of them. You can't do it. Paul says, I got, I got it worked out. The secret to your problems is not to eliminate them. The secret to your problems is to have something bigger than your problems in your life. Otherwise, you're going to feel overwhelmed. He says, that's the secret. You got to have something that outweighs it. You got to have something that is bigger. You got to have something that you look to, where even though your, your mountain looks pretty big, you got to be able to go, no, 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 no. I, I, I know that's what it looks like, but, but, but my God's bigger. And the way you do that is how you look at it. It's your perspective, because perspective is power. How you see things matter. How you look upon your issue, how you look upon your God, how you look upon your marriage, how you look upon your kids, how you look upon your job, how you look at things matters. I, I wanted to read a story to you. It's a letter from a son 
to his father. He's a teenage boy, and he's writing a, uh, a letter to his dad about the end of the school year. And this was his letter to his dad, talking about perspective is powerful. Y'all ready? He says this. He says, Dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with mom and you. I've been finding real passion with Stacy. She's so nice. However, I knew you would not approve of her because of her piercings, tattoos, and tight motorcycle clothing. Also, she is much older than me, but don't worry, that's not a problem. But it's, only, it's, it's not only the, the passion, Dad. She's, she's pregnant. Stacy said that we'll be very happy no matter what. She, don't worry, she owns a trailer and, uh, in the woods, and she's got a stack of firewood for the entire winter. We share a dream of having many more children. Stacy has also opened my eyes to many things. In fact, marijuana is one of them. It doesn't hurt anybody, and we'll be growing it for ourselves, trading with other people in the commune that we live in. Uh, don't worry, Dad. I'm, I'm only 15, and I know that how to take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure, I'll be back to visit so you can meet your many grandchildren. Love, Joshua. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Jason's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than my school report card on your desk. (laughs) Call me when it's safe to come home. Some of you get that on the way out. Perspective is power. How you see things matters, whether, whether you see what the big picture is, what you're, what you're really looking at, what you're really going through, how you're really, it, all that stuff matters because if you're not looking at it right, you won't, you won't get to where you're trying to get to. I remember when I started um, learning how to uh, uh, drive my car. When you, you know what the driver instructor always said? Anybody learn how to drive your car recently? What the driver instructor always said? Be careful where your eyes go because where your eyes go, your car go right? So if you're looking at the curb, eventually you're going to hit that curb. And if you're always looking at the things that are bothering you and always looking at the size of your problems, man, eventually your problems become pretty, pretty big and your God becomes really, really small. So how we see things matters. So for you not to give up, we got to have the right focus. And for us to have the right focus, Paul is saying we need to focus on the eternal. So in the time I have left, I want to give you three quick thoughts, three quick thoughts on how to focus, three ways to focus on the eternal. Number one is this. The first way to focus on the eternal is to pray. Everybody say pray. I know I'm a pastor, and this is a church, and you're like, well, of course, pastor, you should say pray. No, 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 no. Prayer matters. It's one of the best ways for you to focus on the eternal if you do it right. But can I just say, you could pray wrong. I'm just telling you. There's some people I just know, and in fact, we could pray wrong so much that we don't pray at all. And then so we don't pray at all, then we have no access to God. And so for many of us, we can get in this cycle that prayer doesn't matter. Prayer absolutely matters. I'm going to read this uh, in Colossians. Paul writes this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. There it is again. Not things below. Not under the sun. Above the sun. Eternal things. Where Christ is seated seated at the right hand of God. He goes on to say, set your minds on things above, not only earthly things. The only way we can set our minds on things above is if we close our eyes and have a moment with God. And let me just tell you, the main problem with our prayer lives is that we tend to pray American-style prayers or, or just, you know, Americanized prayers or this new century-style prayer where we go to God, and this is what it looks like. It's the passing of information. 
hey, God, I just wanted to remind you of all the issues that I'm going through, just in case you forgot. And so you and I will walk up to him, and, you know, whenever we do, maybe you have a prayer closet. Maybe you pray on the way to work or whatever, you know. And so you, you do your prayer time, and so you're just reminding God, hey, God, by the way, just want to let you know, uh, my husband's nuts. You remember? Do you remember what he said yesterday? Can you fix him? He needs you a lot. P.S. Can you do it fast? And if it's always a passing of information, it's a, it's a, it's a monologue, right? And prayer is meant to be, in many ways, a dialogue. And I've noticed, like, people, I can't hear from God. Well, you talk too much. You, 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 you talk too much. There's something in you. You always have something to say. God, just so you know, God, by definition, knows everything. So when you walk into moments with him, maybe the best thing that we could do this week, here's my challenge for you. This is just something different. This is going to be radical. I'm going to be radical right now, okay? It's crazy. Spend five minutes with God and say nothing. Close your eyes. Focus on him. God, what would you have to say to me today? It's harder than you think. God, what would you want me to do today? God, change me. Don't change the situation. If you change me, somehow that situation works itself out. But change me first. God, I want prayers about making me better, not the situation better. And we can devalue it. Hey, listen, just so you know, this is for you Christians. Yeah, Christians. Yeah. So if you're not a Christian in here, I'm going to get them. I got them. I got you. I'm going to get them right now. So if you're a Christian in here, you're susceptible to it the most because you're most familiar with it. You've normalized prayer to the point where it's no longer impactful. And sometimes God needs to speak to you. And the only one he can speak to is if you stop talking. And so I'm, I'm challenging you today. Find five minutes this week in silence and prayer. Second thing is this, is to serve. One of the best ways you can focus and keep your focus on the eternal is being a servant-minded person. Paul says this. In another part of Scripture, uh, do not work for food. Actually, this is Jesus speaking. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. He says, listen, at some point, if all you're doing is working for things that are going to be temporary, you and you use your temporary stuff or other temporary stuff, you're not going to leave legacy. The greatest people that I know are people who are active in their local church. Can I just tell you that? In some way, some shape or form, they are active in serving the local church. Here's why. Can I just give you like insight as a pastor? Like open my mind from 20 years of experience inside churches and pastoring all kinds of people in all parts of the world. Can I just tell you that? The easiest people in the world to pastor are those who serve the local church. They need less counseling. They need less problem solving. They need less time with me. Pastor, I need time with you. Can I get time? Like five minutes, can I get time with you? I need you, and you tell me all the things that you're wrong. And that's my job. But I'm just telling you, people who serve are less likely to do stuff like that. You want to know why? Because they're like, you know what, man? I'm just focused on the eternal. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm shipwrecked, and snakes are biting me. And for some reason, people keep beating me with their words and their actions and all these things. But you know what? It's all good, Pastor. I'm doing something. I'm a part of something bigger than myself. I'm doing something in the kids' department. I'm doing something in the parking lot. I'm in the guest services serving coffee because everybody seems to drink coffee all the time. I'm just right here doing sound. I'm doing the worship. I'm doing something bigger because, man, if I do that, then I, can't, I don't have time to focus on my issue. 
And people who serve just get that. It helps other people, too. I, I've, um, this week, this Saturday, July 13th, is Serve Day. We join with thousands of churches around the nation, literally, going out and serving our community. It's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. This is our first year as a church we get to do it. And we got like five or six different, uh, we're doing stuff at levels our church should not be doing, by the way. Thank you, staff and volunteers, because if it was left up to me, we'd be like, well, I guess, you know, we can go down to the McDonald's or something. I don't, you know, it's like, but you know, we need to go serve Taco Smell. And so like, oh, so, we, but, but we're going to go serve our community. We're going to serve the homeless. We're going to serve, um, you, you know, we're going to clean up trash and pick up things. We're going to serve our first responders. Come on, our, our, our police officers and our fire departments. We're going to do so many great things, and we're going to clean and be the hands and feet of Jesus and show people what we mean. Why? Because we want to serve. And serving people always help others. Saved people serve people. Period. So if you love God, you need to serve. I'm unapologetic about it. The second thing it does is it helps you. I was talking with a lady the other day, and she was like, Pastor, I just love this church. I'm like, is it the messages? I mean, I get it. I mean, it's, I mean, it's powerful. I get it. You know, it's just things, just Holy Spirit moving. She goes, no. I was like, kind of, you know, trying not to be offended. She goes, no, it's actually that. That's not it at all. I was like, oh, okay. She goes, I was serving in the kids department. I was like, reach. I was like, so changing diapers, helping these little babies and just realizing that what I'm doing right now is leaving a legacy. And I'm like, that's it. She's like, life is so good. And I'm like, but I know. And I, you know what's so funny? I know her. And I know her life ain't that good. But save people, serve people. And they serve people just got this mindset like, it's all good. It's all good. Third thing is this, as I'm wrapping up. Which, by the way, serving matters. And there's room for you at the table. Three services is coming in the fall because we were like packed out every service all the time, even in the summer, which is crazy. It matters. Get serving. And the third one is this, talking about things we need to focus on to keep the eternal. Three focuses to keep our eyes on the eternal. The third one is this, giving. Giving is one of the greatest ways for us to stay focused on the eternal. When we give of ourselves, whether it's our time, talent, or treasure, it does something in our spirit. This is even proven in science. Like you can even see statistics show the most generous type of people, the most philanthropic, the people who are part of major organizations that give a lot, they do it because it actually helps their spirit. They find personal benefit in it, not because they necessarily got the money back, but because then they're doing something for other people. They got their minds off of them. I love in the psalmist would say in Psalm 112, he says, they share freely and give generously in those in need. He's speaking to Christ-minded people. He says, their good deeds will be remembered forever. This is eternal, right? And they will have influence and they will have honor. That there's something about being generous. There's something about blessing others. We should be asking ourselves on a regular basis, how can I bless the world around me? And I know what it's like. It's like, well, as soon as I'm not overwhelmed, then I'll be generous. That's, you're, that's wrong thinking. The enemy would love for you to think like that forever because it just keeps you overwhelmed. 
Godly people say, look, I'm going to be generous so that I'm not overwhelmed. I'm going to give because that's who my heavenly father is. And by resembling and, remar- and, and, and reflecting him and being generous, I'm not going to be overwhelmed. And, and yes, you should give to your local church. You should tithe. You should give offerings. Those things are incredibly biblical and blessing, not just for you, but for your church. You should do that. But, but I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about your world. And I'm so serious about it. I, we made these this week, um, and you, they're on your chair, and they're, they're on our, you know, around our tables and everywhere like that. This week, I want you to, this is a challenge this week. This is a challenge this week. I want you to do a random act of kindness with your money. With your money. With your money. Yeah, your money. Yeah, your money. Money. Well, you money, yeah, money, the Greek word, money, okay? I want money. Take this card and go bless someone this week. All it says on one side is something extra to show you God loves you, and the back says, and so do we. Just go bless someone. Go be the hands and feet of Jesus. Go be generous. You're doing yourself a favor, I promise you. I've heard stories in other churches that I've been a part of when we've done things like this. I, there was a story of a lady who came, and she called our office, and she said, I, I just want you to know I was about to commit suicide, and then someone bought me a drink and coffee right before I went to go do it. And I got this card, and it just reminded me that I was not alone, that God loved me. You'll never know what, what you'll never know the power of generosity until you do it. Go be generous. Find someone who, find a single mom who doesn't have groceries or struggling to think about groceries. She didn't mention it, but you know it, and go buy her some groceries. Go find a place where you can bless someone with coffee. Go find someone to take someone to lunch. Go find a young, young man that you want to mentor and take him out and go make sure he feels loved. Go find a young lady who needs to go and get, go, come on. Go, there's something in your life and in my life. We're wired to be givers, and if you're not giving and you're not being generous, You're missing it, and you'll be stuck focusing on the temporary. I've noticed that overwhelmed people spend their temporary things on other temporary things. Peaceful people spend their temporary things on eternal things. They spend their money. They put their money in things that are going to last way past them. That's my challenge to you today. For us, the first step we take when we are overwhelmed is we don't give up. Don't you dare give up in here. We don't give up by focusing on the eternal, the things above the sun. You can do it. 